Once there was a $20 bill and a $1 bill talking to one another. They were telling each other where they had been. The, the 20 said he had just been on a worldwide trip. He had been to a casino and the movies. He had been to a basketball game and purchased hot dogs and a drink. He had passed on to the lottery and then a drug dealer. His life was full of extravagant travel. The $1 bill responded saying his life was boring. All he had done was travel from one church to another and another. The $1 wants us to know today that let your giving come from, the, come from a heart that is overflowing with, lo, with God's love and abundance, abundant grace. It's all in your attitude. God loves a cheerful giver. The word cheerful is a hilarious. It also means to be merry and prompt or willing. Be ready always to give with joy in your heart, bearing in mind that Christ Jesus willingly gave his life for you. The ushers, may the ushers now proceed to the morning tithes and offerings. Seventh-day Adventist Church. To our online viewers at www.abundantlifelv.org, we are also blessed to have you join with us today. We are located at 1720 North J Street, Las Vegas, Nevada, 89106. As Youth of Abundant Life, we are very grateful to serve you in this special day of Youth Emphasis. We are also very happy to have our youth pastor, Russell Lewar, speak to us today. Pastor Lewars is happily married to the former Rosa, Rosa Lewars, his best friend. 
If you would like a free copy of this sermon or any previous sermons, you may contact us at 702-647-2627. We would love to hear from you. Before Pastor Lewar speaks to us today, we will have special music presented by our youth choir. Then we will hear from Pastor Lewar's. Hear ye him.
Thank everyone that has participated and contributed to the success of our Youth Power Hour. I'm having some difficulty with my sound here. So I think I better work with this one. All right, yes. Amen, church? All right. Thank the, children choir, the children's choir for being so, so well in their, in their deliverance. I want to thank the musicians. Thank you so much for serving. And Jazz, you know, I know you're a musician. You're back there, but I see you doing your thing. I also want to thank the youth that are up here. They said yes to me. You know, it's not easy to come up here. It's always nice when you're down there looking up. It's quite another when you're up here and all these eyes are looking back, you know. <laughs> so I want to thank you so far uh, for delivering and for serving, preparing to lead your church. For this is indeed your church. Now, if you turn in your Bibles to uh, John, John chapter 6. Turn your Bibles to John chapter 6. And we want to look at God's word today. I was sent on a mission. Sister Alize Gordon, who did so well with the radio welcome and introduction, told me to go and do some research. Some current research on what the youth are facing so I can tell the parents and inform them as to how they can do successful parenting. So Alizé, I do this, you know, I have the research here and I will share that. John the sixth chapter. And now I'd like to read in your hearing from verse 60. John the sixth chapter, verse 60. The Bible says, Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can understand it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured about this, he said to them, Does, does this offend you? What then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? It is the spirit who gives life, the flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were, who did not believe, and who would betray him. And he said, therefore, I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my father. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Then Jesus said to the twelve, Do you also want to go away? Shall we pray? Gracious God and our Father, 
we are so grateful to be in your presence again lord we ask that your holy spirit may fall afresh on us today that our minds oh god may may concentrate on you and on your word push back the curtains oh god so that we may peer into your sanctuary today so that we may have a clearer understanding of you and what we need to do hear our prayer oh god today on this day for we pray it in your name amen 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 so before I get into the sermon today, I would like to share with you share with you some of the challenging circumstances that our youth are faced with and the immediate effects on our Adventist churches. Now I know I'm queued up right here, so I'm just going to begin. By faith. <laughs> I'm queued up nice. I'm ready. Um, and here's my... Yes, praise the Lord. Can you say amen? Amen. 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 Challenges facing our youth today and its impact on our Adventist churches in North America. All right. The American Academy of Pedi Pediatrics, Sexuality, Contraception, and the Media, this was released on August 30. It says more than 75% of primetime programs contain sexual content. Only 14% of these incidents mention any risks or responsibilities of sexual activity. Talk about sex on TV can occur as often as 8 to 10 times per hour. Between 1997 and 2001 alone, the amount of sexual content on TV nearly doubled. The media may function as a super pair in convincing adolescents that early sexual activity is what? normal young teen teenager behavior. Now check this out. Listening to sexually degrading lyrics is associated with earlier sexual intercourse. And since I can't get most of the parents at AY, I just deal with the business right here. Of nine studies seeking to determine if sexy media contributes to early sexual activity, seven of these studies have shown that exposure to sexual content on TV and other media in early adolescence can as much as double the risk of early sexual intercourse. Early exposure to sexual content doubles the risk of teen pregnancy. Now watch this. How many of the youth in our church got bedroom TVs? Watch this. Bedroom TVs are associated with greater substance use and sexual activity. 
So I'm sure you're going to remove those TVs by this evening. <laughs> Teenagers whose parents... Now here's the good news. It's not just gloom and doom. Here's some good news. Some good news for you today. Teenagers whose parents control... Their TV viewing habits are less, less rather, sexually experienced. Adolescents whose parents limit their TV viewing are less likely to engage in early risque or risky behavior. Nevertheless, church, our boys are becoming what? Desensitized and our girls are becoming what? Just recently, just recently they had to pull a segment of Sesame Street. You know, Big Bird and everything. Because Kate Perry, a singer, was on there in a low cut. And they were asking the question, why was her mammary glands open to the kids on TV? Sesame Street. You know, you have the little kids... Nah, nah, nah. You know how it is. Sesame Street. They had to cut that segment out because she was overexposed in her presentation. Now, this is an Adventist, Roger Dudley. And in his book, he deals, Alizé, with why our teenagers leave the church. This is a 10-year study that he has worked on. And he says... 40%, what did I say, church? 40%. Yeah, you're going to help me. 40% to 50% baptized members in the mid-teens will drop out of the church by the time they are halfway through their 20s. <laughs> That's some serious stuff, isn't it? Not only that, he goes on to say this. One major theme shared by the dropouts was that they feel unaccepted. The youth department at the general conference say, they say this. They are leaving the church like what? Water between our fingers. I hope I'm not boring you with this. They are leaving the church like water between our fingers. Now, we are not the only ones suffering from this, this, this disease, as it were. Rainer and Rainer in the book Essential Church reclaiming a generation of dropouts. dropouts. They say, quote, more than two-thirds of young church-going adults in America, where church? Drop out of church between the ages of 18 and 22. They go on to say church members seem, this is the reason, they studied 1,000 youth. And they said church members seemed, they were nice, they were nice. They seemed or appeared judgmental or hypocritical. Some of them simply wanted a break from church. That's what they said, I just want a break from church. And then I said to myself, well, you see, since, since I'm not a parent, uh, uh, let's ask some people who have kids. Just a youth pastor. George Barner, of course, you, you know, he's a statistician, and he, is, he does studies all the time. And he says, 20-somethings struggle to stay active in Christian faith. 
20% church as teens spiritually active at age 29. Only 20%. 61% of teens churched as teens disengage during 20s. 19% never churched as teen, still unconnected. So you see that big 61% of, 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 of teens who later on disengage themselves from church. So look around at your teens. Look at these precious ones up here today. I hope you're praying for them. And let me just categorically thank all the parents, Sister Rawls, who have been coming to our parenting seminars. How do we know you need parenting seminars? We just look at your kids. That's why we have parenting seminars. He goes on to say, watch this, since teenagers' faith often mirrors, do what? mirrors the intensity of their parents, youth workers face steep challenges because they are trying to impart something of spiritual significance that teenagers generally do not receive from their what? From their home. And then, and then I said, Let, let's talk to somebody we are all familiar with. Sister Brown. We're all familiar with, with Auntie Ellen, right? Auntie Ellen. So I went to the book Education, Jelani, and check this out. Here's the reason. Ellen G. White now. Education. It is because so many what? And who? That's me too. Profess to believe the word of God. While their, while their lives deny its power. That the teaching of scripture has no greater effect upon the youth. So I don't really blame all the youth, you know. Watch me. Stay with me. She goes on. At times the youth are brought to feel the what? The power of the word. They see the preciousness of the love of Christ. They see the beauty of his character, the possibilities of a life given to his service, but in what? My Lord. In contrast, they see the life of those who profess to revere God's precepts. But that's, that, that's just Ellen. That's just Auntie Ellen, you know. That's just Auntie Ellen. Let's look at the word now. Amen. Amen. You came for the word? I'm teaching right now. All right. <laughs> Here we go. Ezekiel uh, chapter 33, verses 30 through 32. You have your Bibles because you brought them. Let me see your Bibles because you brought them today. Good. If you don't have one, you have one in the pew. And I put it up here too so you can see it. The Bible says, let's read this part together. I want us to work this together. Let's read this together. Begin. As for you, son of man, the children of your people are talking about you beside the walls and in the doors of the houses, and they speak to one another, everyone saying to his brother, 
Please come and hear what the word is from the, from the Lord. Amen. Good. You're following. Verse 31. Read it. So they come to you as people do. They sit before you as my people. And they hear your words. But they do not. For with their mouth they show much love. But their hearts. Keep going. Indeed, you are to them as a very lovely song of one who has a pleasant voice and can play well on the instrument. For they hear your words, but they, they don't do them. <laughs> That's the word of God. Amen. I hope you came for the word today. Youth power hour. Certainly, I'm not trying to play the blame game. But I would like you to know that if you send your children to Caesar for their education, don't be surprised when they come home behaving like Romans. There has to be a harmony between living the life and what we are teaching. Our youth and young adults are not fools. These guys up here. They're smart and perceptive. They learn more from observing than from what they hear. A famous lecturer asked for, uh, 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 was asked for his parenting advice. And, and here's what he says, his reply. There are three most important principles. One, example. Two, example. Three, example. But there's hope, and that depends on you today. There's hope for our youth and our young people in our church today. But that depends on you. An optimist sees an opportunity in every calamity, but the pessimist sees a calamity in every opportunity. I'm so glad Jesus not only has an answer for us today, but he is the answer. John chapter 6. Go there because this is word time. Say word, church. Word time. John chapter 6 says, as you look at it, John chapter 6 shows us Jesus is aware of the stinging and striking statistics. He knows how it feels when a son or a daughter turns his back on the church. When John chapter 6 opens, over 5,000 people, how many church? 5,000 people are following Jesus, listening to him speak. They all wanted his autograph. Mothers, 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 mothers named their babies after him. Tara and Dr. Phil, Oprah and Ellen DeGeneres, though Ellen DeGeneres, though hotly opposed his position on gay and lesbian rights, all would have wanted this homegrown healer from the hood in Nazareth on their show. For when is their ratings and Emmys turn to gold? See them lining up to shake the hand of Jesus. All wanting to get a piece of him. Harry Reid and Sharon Angle would have wanted his endorsement. 
Men would climb trees to have a glimpse and a woman would crawl just to get a touch. All the single ladies talked about him. He is celebrity personified. However, when this chapter closes, only 12 men are with him. And Maya, one of them is not even saved. If Jesus is doing anything in these verses, he is issuing a call to commitment. He knows many of them are there for a handout. Like party crashers, you know. Always on time for what they can get. But watch what happens when Jesus lays it down. Hear his call. See his mission and get a glimpse of his ministry. In these verses, Jesus states the truth. The truth about himself and his ministry. And thousands simply turn their backs and walk away. When they desert him, verse 66. When they desert him, the Bible says, From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. When they desert him with an aching heart, Jesus asked these 12 disciples in verse 67, he says, he says, he says, then Jesus said to the 12, do you also want to go away? That's the New King James Version. The black contemporary version, I made it up, I know. The black contemporary version says, y'all still want to hang or what? These statistics shouldn't surprise us for in these times, in these times, people will have a form of godliness but deny the powers thereof. 2 Timothy 3 verse 5, write it down. Jesus goes even further. He says, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. Matthew 23, verse 27. Jesus can be hard on us, can't he? In this passage, there are some insights as to why people make the decisions they do concerning their walk with the Lord. And I want to share a few of them with you as we consider the thought, hanging with Jesus. What did I say, church? Hanging with Jesus. Hanging with Jesus. You see, when you hang with Jesus, you can handle the truth. When you hang with Jesus, you can handle the truth. The fact of the matter is that while not everyone walks away from the Lord, some do. This passage not only tells us that people walked out on their relationship but also tells us that not everyone can handle the truth. The people here are doubtful, suspicious, and increasingly, increasingly hostile to Jesus. Why is that? The same people who wanted to make him king when he fed them, verse 15... After the sermon, 
treated Jesus like he had lost his mind. They gave him the look that parents give you when you tell them that you don't want to go to church this Sabbath. <laughs> I'm just tired, Jazz. I just want to hang back, relax a little bit. What was the problem? Well, Jesus told them a couple of things. He says, he says well, he's the only way of salvation. Well, that's not too bad. Other, other prophets came along and, and false prophets and some said that. So as long as he's feeding us bread, we cool. Then Jesus says, he's the son of God. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Then Jesus went on to say, he's better than Moses and manna. And then Jesus went on to say that outside of him, there is no other. No, 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 wait, wait a minute, Jesus. Wait a minute. Wait a minute, Jesus. We like your wine. We like your bread. We like what you're doing for the poor and everything and healing. We like all of these things. But we got a problem with you. See, the truth, as I heard it before, the truth was too hot to handle and too cold to hold. When God reveals himself to you, there are only two ways you can handle it. It can be received or it can be rejected. You can accept the truth when you see it for what it is. But these people were having none of it. You see, when it comes to the truth, some people misunderstand it. Some people do what? Misunderstand it. Nicodemus thought Jesus was talking about gynecology when he was actually speaking about the new birth. The woman at the well thought Jesus was talking about plumbing when he was actually talking about himself, the water of life. The man at the pool of Bethesda thought Jesus was talking about a rescue mission. When he was actually talking about placing faith in himself. You see, God not only wants us to do Bible studies. And come to church and be baptized. Jesus wants us to experience conversion. What is that, you say, Maya? Well, it is a genuine sorrow for sin and a turning away from it. When most people don't understand the truth, they usually dismiss it. Even atheists, they say there is no God, but they end up believing in the philosophy there is no God. So they actually still believe in something. Not only do the people misunderstand it, but some of them oppose it. When Jesus opens his agenda, not only did they oppose him, but they belittle him. Alizé, they bagged on him. They said, they said, who does he think, who, who, who is he? He doesn't even know his daddy. A carpenter boy from the hood in Nazareth. And he's here telling us there's none other like him. He is the only one. He is the way. Really? And there are some spiritual leaders even today, preachers if I may add, 
who believe everything in the Bible they say, but when it comes to the creation story that God created the whole earth in 24 literal days, they say, no, wait a minute. I can't handle that. A big God can do everything else in the Bible, but he can create the earth in 24 literal days. Commitment. Jesus' call is a call to commitment and a commitment that goes against the desire to live for self. You see, when you are in sync with the Spirit of God, the gospel, the cross, and the blood of Jesus, you are never offended by his word. You are never ashamed, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. Now, some people misunderstand it. Some people oppose it. But you know, some people are blind to the truth. Throughout the passage, the people have their own agenda. Own agenda. They said, they said, show us and we believe. They saw him feed 5,000 with five loaves of bread and two fish. They figured out he had crossed the lake by himself on water. But still blind to who he was and what he was doing. When he made his claims and issued his call to commitment, they were unable to see the truth because they were spiritually blind. The fact is, all of us have been blind. Amen? And then the truth came to us. Turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 4 verse 4. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 4. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 4. And I'll go ahead. The Bible says, Whose minds the God of this age has blinded who do not believe? Lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. That is why many people reject the word and embrace the lie. They refuse to submit to his word. I tell you right now, church, I may not understand everything. Youth, young people, I may not understand everything in the word. And I don't present myself to do understand everything in the word. But you know what? I accept everything in the word. Even if I don't understand it, I say, Lord, you know, this is tough right here. I tell you what, I'm going to accept it as the truth. And then you give me a little bit more that I can handle. Sometimes we can handle the whole truth once. But not only did, were some of them blind to it, some people want the experience but not the expectation. People followed Jesus because he served up fish and bread. Occasionally, unfermented grape juice. They wanted more of the same. Uh, they wanted to feel good about themselves. They wanted an experience. They wanted to be following the next king. They wanted miracles and the sensational. And as long as Jesus met their superficial desires, 
It was good to go. Everything was fine and dandy. But now that Jesus stirred up their minds, they had thoughts, they were thinking things like, now wait a minute, what's up with Jesus talking about keeping the Sabbath? And this talk about saving yourself until marriage. Now hold up, Jesus. Don't you know that, that we have needs? Why you got to be so religious and everything? Why so serious, Jesus? Can't we just kick it? Let's just kick it in the moment with no commitment. And don't you know that this same mentality has developed within the church? Too many, too, too many of us want a religious experience. But without the commitment and expectations. Yeah, we're going out to give out stuff today. Commitment, the experience without the commitment and expectations. Too many want to serve God for what they can get without concern for his glory. Too many want entertainment and excitement without the commitment that comes along with the proclamation of the truth. Do you know that even the gangs in Las Vegas, you wonder why they're so successful. But even the gangs out here in Las Vegas have principles of commitment and expectations. When you get in, you can't get out. What we do, you're going to do. If we're going to rob some place, some strip mall, you got to be a part of it because you're not getting any cut and you still can't leave us. They have commitment and expectations. They provide a family. They have their rules. Imagine how the disciples felt when the multitude walked away. From 5,000 to 12. It must have blown their minds, Brother Larry, that all these people have gone away and left them. Things looked like they were going well. The ministry was growing and, 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 and tithe was coming in and Judas had the money bag and things were going well. And Jesus went ahead and stirred things up. So now church got down to 12 people. What are we going to do? We have a huge building, but only 12 people. And one of them is not saved. And it's true that those who are left are adversely affected by those who no longer choose to hang with Jesus. Like a pebble cast in the lake, vanishing beneath its surface. But then hundreds of ripples slowly ebb away, spreading, spreading from the center, not knowing where the end will be. The family is hurt. Surely not everyone wants to handle the truth. Sometimes the truth is tough, isn't it, church? The truth makes demands on our lives, young and old. Sometimes the truth is brutal, isn't it? And seems unfeeling. But it makes perfect sense to me. When Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He's always right. Is always right and his way is always perfect. Church, can you handle the truth? 
Young people, can you handle the truth? Well, if you can handle the truth, I only had one amen. Can we handle the church? Can we handle the truth, church? You see, not only when you're hanging with Jesus can you handle the truth, but when you hang with Jesus, nothing is hidden. Your life is an open book. Luke 8, verse 17. Luke chapter 8, verse 17. Look in your Bibles, because I don't want you to say Pastor Lewar said, but I want you to say the Bible says. Luke 8, verse 17. And the Bible says, Luke 8, 17, the Bible says, For there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed. Have mercy. We Nothing hidden that will not be disclosed. And nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out into the open. Simply stated, regardless of what we may think, we're hiding nothing from the gaze of the Lord. And we should never try to judge people's motives. That's God's business. However, in this passage, we see the truth why the multitudes were following him. 5,000 following Jesus because of the food, the bread, and the wine. Jesus, I'm saying today, he knows the deepest secrets in our hearts of those who appear to be the most committed to him. Now I ask you today, when, when the Lord looks at your life, turns on the divine MRI, Dr. Norris, what does he see? Does he see absolute commitment and faith? Or does he see a life that wants experience but no expectation? And let me reassure you that he sees you and me just like we are. He sees the way you handle your sister. He sees how mean you are to your brother. He sees the way you deceive your parents to get your way. How you work your magic. But mommy, please. Dad. And if you can't get both of them to agree, then you work on mom first. <laughs> yeah. If I can't get my mom to agree to something, well... Let's see how dad will take it. You divide and conquer, you see. You don't approach them together. You get one one side. Mom, can I go out tonight? Mom says, go ask your dad. <laughs> Wrong. Wrong. Mom should say, let's go together with dad and let's ask both. Let's work it together. See, I gave your tips away. I'm sorry. I'm sorry about that. But nothing is hidden. Jesus sees Zacchaeus in the tree. He sees Peter by the Roman fire. Not even the hearts of the hypocritical Pharisees, not even Judas Iscariot, who was numbered with the twelve. They didn't know Judas was fake, but Jesus knew it. I cannot see into your hearts today. But praise God, you can't see into mine either. 
But God sees us just as we are. What does he see when he looks at your heart today? He knows where you stand spiritually. Do you? The bottom line in this passage here is that there are some people who do not seek nor desire to hang with Jesus. They do not want to be committed to his will or his work, but at the same time, they want the benefits they can derive from being in church, being around God's people. These people may deceive us, or we may deceive ourselves, but they will never deceive the Lord. He sees through your excuses and the smoke screen of our pretenses. He knows what's behind the curtain of our hearts and will hold us accountable. So young people, not only when you hang with Jesus, you can handle the truth. Not only when you hang with Jesus, uh, uh, every, nothing is hidden with him. But when you are hanging with Jesus, it takes genuine faith. What does it do, church? It takes genuine faith. John Francois Gravelin, a.k.a. Charles Blondin, the great Blondin, a.k.a. Daredevil Wirewalker, was the first and possibly the best known of Niagara Falls tightrope walkers. Legend has it that before crossing, he would ask in his French-flavored accent, do you believe I can do it? <laughs> and the people, the people would, 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 would be quiet for a while. But then he would ask again. Do you believe I can do it? <laughs> and, and, and the rope was across the Niagara Falls. The, 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 he had it stretched across there. And then they finally would warm up and said, yes, yes. And even if they didn't believe him that he could do it, they would want it, elder fluences. They would want to see him walk across there and say, yeah, you can do it. So the daredevil would. Oh, oh, oh. And he would go across, and he would come back. And the crowd would roar, and people would be excited. The daredevil did it again. Then he would come back again, and he said, Do you believe I can do it with a wheelbarrow? <laughs> and the people again would, 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 would say, Sure, he can do it. And he would certainly the wheelbarrow, go across on the tightrope above the Niagara Falls. And he would go across. Creaky, 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 creaky. And he comes back, and the people are shouting. He did it again. And now he looks over there, and he says, Do you believe I can do it with someone in the wheelbarrow? And the people said, yes, yes, he can do it with someone in the wheelbarrow. And then he says, may I have un volunteer? <laughs> and certainly, <laughs> certainly no one looked at him that time. Hanging with Jesus takes genuine faith. No one wanted to go into the wheelbarrow, Sister Brown. But they believed it. 
We believe you can do it. <laughs> Hanging with Jesus takes genuine faith. The only person he could get to go into the wheelbarrow, Sister Hodges, is his manager. And I'm sure his manager had good health insurance. Back then, I don't know what they had. Praise God for our health care and its improvement. But hanging with Jesus takes genuine faith. You believe it, but do you, are you willing to be wheeled across the Niagara Falls, as it were, in the wheelbarrow? When Jesus asked the disciples if they too will leave him, Peter does not hesitate. He expresses not only his commitment, but their total commitment. Look at it with me. Go back to John chapter 6. Look at this powerful thing right here. I tell you the truth. Verse 68. John 6, verse 68. The Bible says, the Bible says, Peter, Peter, verse 68, Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Huh? You have the words of life. Peter had taken a step that many in his day would not take and could not take. Peter had made a necessary connection between the words of Jesus and Jesus himself. To receive Christ, young people, is to receive his word. To receive his word is to receive him. Uh, let me break it down a little more. Like when I, I visited one of our young people having a game the other night, Brother Ivan, and, and they, had, they had a couple of snacks there. And, and, and they had nachos. And nachos go with what? Oh, very good. Very good. So nachos go with cheese. All right. Peas go with carrots. Come on, you know. You know we have peas and carrots. Cookies go with? Cookies go with what? Cookies go with cream. Cookies and cream. Or ice cream. Adam go with? Nuts and? Nuts and bolts. Nuts and berries. <laughs> Listening pays. Brother Principal. <laughs> Listening pays. Nuts and bolt. <laughs> all right, all right. They're always taken together. Now listen carefully, listen carefully. Peter says, we believe. What does that mean, Kobe? It means an inward conviction that Jesus is who he claims to be. Everyone can do that. Can't you do that today? You believe Jesus is Savior and Lord, right? We believe. But then Peter went on to say something that should draw our attention. Peter says, we believe and are sure. What? And are sure. Hmm. A changed life, a full heart, 
and a new desire and direction in life. No, that's faith. Legend tells us Peter would literally hang upside down on the cross for Jesus. I said hanging with Jesus. That's not only belief, but it's a resolve. Young people, young adults, it's a resolve. It's a resolution. It is a love that will not let me go. You see, when you have encountered Almighty God, once you have walked in the light of His glory, once you have tasted of His goodness and experienced His best, you will never be satisfied with substitutes and imitations. Now, I'm a vegetarian. Amen. Praise God. Praise the Lord. And been upward for ten, over 10 years. And, and, you know, vegetarians, we get a lot of fake stuff. We get fake cheese, fake beef, fake bacon, fake sausages, fake ice cream. The list goes on. Fake fish. But, but uh, I've had fake curried goat. Yeah, I'm giving you a little culture now. Now, <laughs> curried goat. <laughs> curried goat. Now, I've been a vegetarian. I told you that already. But you see, whenever I smell the curried goat, the real thing, it's a confession. Come on. When I smell the curried goat and the fresh roti with split peas, I have to rebuke the spirit of the flesh. <laughs> it's true. And just thinking about it right now, I better not dwell on it. <laughs> I better not dwell on it right now. <laughs> because I, you know, I may backslide, dear wife. <laughs> when you have experienced and tasted of the Lord, it's hard to go back. And, and for me, it's the real curried goat. See, I've had the imitation, but the real thing keeps calling me, you know. Now, for some of you, it's the velvet cake. Yeah. And you know you're a chronic diabetic and you're not supposed to have it. And sometimes, for some of us, it is going into the refrigerator in the night. You know you want to keep things slim.